You know what I find so fascinating after 10 years of being in business is this desire to still understand exactly what my business needs next. And you'd think that we'd have it all figured out by this stage, but I'm letting you know that I don't. In fact, I just hired somebody recently, an awesome lady, to just sit down for three hours with me virtually and go through my entire business plan, my priorities, what's important to me, what's been working for me, my funnels. I literally paid somebody to hold me accountable to talk through this because I knew that all the next steps were there. I just wanted to clarify it. And that's what my guest is talking about today, which is the biggest challenge we face is knowing what our biggest challenge is. And as a result, most businesses stay stuck in a pattern of two steps forward and three steps back. So I just know that this episode is going to be awesome for you. It's also super short and sweet. You're listening to The Untapped Podcast, a podcast where you can learn how to tap into your potential and get paid to be you so that you are ultimately doing the work that you love and living life on purpose. It sounds too good to be true. I can tell you it's not. I'm your host, Natalie Sisson, a Kiwi entrepreneur, author, speaker, podcaster, obviously, triathlete, and white German shepherd lover. And I have gone from the corporate world to my own business, where for the last 11 years, I have essentially been learning and educating people how to build an online business they love by monetizing them and what they do best. So sit back, relax, and enjoy these golden nuggets with myself or my amazing and inspiring guests. And make sure that you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you happen to listen into this. Just search for Untapped with Natalie Sisson. All right, let's dive in. Mike Malowitz has built four multi-million dollar companies and sold two of them, one to private equity and another to a Fortune 500, all before his 35th birthday. He's slightly ahead of me, but it wasn't an easy ride. He lost his house once. He lost his entire fortune twice. He launched 10 failed businesses and experienced years of depression. He's also written a ton of books that have all been translated into over 20 languages and he's keynoted at the world's biggest business events. He's a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and business makeover specialist on MSNBC. I also just really dig his style and he is focused on his mission, which is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. Plus, he's got a wicked sense of humor. I read his book, Profit First, Last year, I was actually listening to the audiobook of it while I was out running with my dogs. And then I realized I just needed to be at home with my notebook in hand because there was so much goodness. And now he's got his new book, Fix This Next. And I just feel like in many ways, this could have been his first book because it is so timely for us entrepreneurs who are probably doing so many of the right things, but we're spinning our wheels or not moving past unstuckness or a certain level of profitability or goodness in our business. So. Without further ado, Mike Malowitz, let's just dive in because this was a power-packed short episode that I know you were going to benefit from. So Mike, it is so brilliant to have you here on the Untapped podcast. I'm actually super excited because I've read several of your books and it's lovely to finally have you here as our guest. Well, thank you so much for having me, Natalie. It's a joy to be here. It is. And I, I guess my first question that I always love to ask people is how do you get paid to be you? So how have you tapped into your potential and how do you get paid to be you? Yeah, I think the essence for all of humanity and for myself too is just be different, meaning leaning into ourselves. And I do as an author, I write small business books. I, mean, I write business books for small business and sometimes they're small books. 
<laughs> and I, I just lean into my natural tendency, which is an arm over the shoulder, one-on-one the reader. I have my goofy jokes and just naturally have been myself. And it seems to resonate with a community that enjoys that style. Yeah, I think what you do is you're like, I feel like you're the champion for the small business person who's out there toughing it out, gripping through, and you've just got these massively practical steps filled with humor on how you've done it, how they can do it, but also all the screw ups, all the failures, all the good things that just make it so much more relatable. And thank you. Yeah, they are my peeps. They are my people. Yeah. I love small business, micro business. Mm. And I just think there's something really raw and exciting and There's a great opportunity in front of us. Potential is unlimited, but the challenges are greater than we expected. And for many of us, it's the greatest journey that we'll ever experience in our lives. So I just, I'm flattered to be, even just in a small way, a portion of many entrepreneurs' journey. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like your newest book that's out right now, Fix This Next, which is all about leveling up your business, feels like it's really timely and appropriate for now. But before we dive into it, I'd love to just... (laughs) Understand from your perspective, what is a micro business and your definition of a micro business? Some people um, might not so, have heard so, of that yeah. A micro enterprise, in my definition, is a company under a million dollars in revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and most people that I deal work with are under 500,000. They're a solopreneur and maybe they have one or two colleagues. So hiring is their first experience when they, they read my books. And maybe they're moving from a home office to an office to office. And there's some big fundamental shifts that happen for those micro enterprises. And many don't realize is if I hire my first employee as a small company, it's just me and I hire my first employee, I've literally doubled the size of the business. I've added a hundred percent workforce. That's like a mega corporation, Google comes to mind, has a hundred thousand employees. If they add tomorrow morning a hundred thousand employees, that would be a similar impact. And it sounds absurd when you think of that, but that is the impact. It is that much of a shift. So there's a lot of change that happens very rapidly and very dynamically with small business. Yeah. And right now we're in a a pretty unique time, right? Very, very unique. So I think even more so this book is going to be super helpful, but what are you seeing as some of those opportunities that you just talked about? Because I, I too see this as a time of huge opportunity um, in amongst the heartache and a lot of things that have just closed up, shut down, gone forever. So once we kind of deal with that, What do you see as some of the opportunities right before people's eyes right now that they can do within their business or even if they haven't got a business yet that suddenly is in front of them? Because I feel like it's the time is now if that's the thing that you've been wanting to start or grow into. Yeah, I think there's one great action we can take to define the opportunity. I feel that this is the ultimate entrepreneur's petri dish. Needs have shifted on what's called a macroeconomic. So we're experiencing macroeconomic crisis, everything shifts. And with that shift, comes opportunity because there's new needs. The biggest move we can make to grab those new needs is simply to ask. You know, there's restaurants, sadly, I know where you are, where we are that are shuttered. They are done forever because they couldn't sustain for a few weeks or a few months without cash flow. The smart ones didn't shutter the doors. They said, we still have something. What it was, was their client base, their past patrons. And they simply reached out to them through email or phone calls and said, what do you need now? How's the new way we can serve you because we can't serve you at our restaurant? And one particular restaurant in our area here started to do cooking classes. Patrons still wanted to cook the five or 10 most popular dishes, but wanted to do it in their own kitchen now. So the restaurant scheduled, Zoom, like we're doing over Zoom, Zoom conference calls with that 
family, but also other people in the neighborhood. So no, no longer is it time at a restaurant. Now it's reconnecting with your neighbors and it's enjoying a meal together and it's celebrating over two hours. And interestingly, this restaurant is making more money per transaction, hands down. They're way more profitable now than they wow. ever were before because of this new model. We have to ask. Yeah, I love that. I'm forever asking my community, what do you need and how can I meet you at that need? So for people who maybe haven't quite done that yet, they're feeling a little bit lost. When they do ask, how do you know what to define as the next action to do? Because what I'm thinking here about is building a business that's resilient for future opportunities like this. And I think so many people have been really massively exposed. As you said, they have one form of revenue. That's it. So as people are maybe taking advantage of these new opportunities and asking and then producing and delivering, how do they also build in resilience at the same time so that they don't get caught out like so many have? Yeah, well, how we do it, I talk about it actually in my new book too, is sell the tell is the methodology. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is as rapidly develop and change what we're offering, many businesses try to produce the offering, perfect it and deliver it. But there's costs associated with that. And the, one of the biggest costs is simply time. We got to move quickly. If needs have shifted to spend the next two or three months trying to figure out the offering and then it's a dud, well, that's a real problem. So the sell the tell challenge people and fix this next is within 24 hours, can you make revenue from purely a concept? Back to that restaurant, the example, they didn't start with a cooking class and get all the camera gear and ramp all the stuff up and then see if it worked. They emailed their constituency and said, we have an idea. We're thinking about putting on a cooking class and it's going to be over five weeks, one time a week for two hours. And what's interesting is they said, we haven't developed this at all. It could be a flop. So before we put an investment into it, we're going to accept in five participants at a discounted price, a beta group. Mm -hmm. And those five participants, if you join us, there will be bumps and bruises, but we will also curtail and modify what we're offering to satisfy your needs. Who's in? And they got people opening their wallets. And if you can get people to buy in on simply the concept, the concept that will work. The best part though, is now that they went to the full rollout and they're introducing it to other patrons and other people in the community, they have five beta users. They have five testimonials baked into it. Mm -hmm. So they made revenue within 24 hours. They rolled out the program over four weeks, improved it, and now they have testimonials for the next offering that they made successful. Yeah, I love that. It's all about, I love the sell to tell, but the pre-sell and the minimum viable product. And as you say, just asking and refining. I think I've done most of my best launches through a pilot and just literally yes. doing what you said, putting out an email saying, I'm thinking of putting this together. It's going to help you do this going to be run in this way. These are the benefits. Are you in? Like here's the sort of, yeah. And I think I filled my first 30 spots in that one email with no other outreach. So it's pretty incredible. You yeah, know, some, I, some just yeah. a quick point to that. Some entrepreneurs that have done this, they get a response, a null response. People say, no, I don't want in or they don't respond at all. And then they feel defeated. I'm mm -hmm. like, no, no, you should be celebrating. You found <laughs> something not to do. Like they just saved you so much money by their inaction. They've proven they don't want what you have. Try again. And yeah. so that either way, whatever feedback you get is the accurate feedback. I really love that because the try again would be ask them, okay, hey, this didn't hit the nail on the head, but what do you need right now? Like yes. which of the bits in here did resonate? And if I could make it a no brainer for you, what would it need to be yes. and look like? That's follow. I love that because otherwise we do, we sit down a little like HQs, even if it's our home office right now, and we're like, oh, it's so depressing. Nobody wants it. We don't just keep nudging and asking and finding the gold nuggets, which is really, really important. So in your new book, do you want to tell us a little bit about, I guess, who the perfect person 
is to read this book. Sure, and- sure. So I, you know, I have it strategically positioned here so I can hold it nice and close. To <laughs> Thank you. So it's called yeah. fix this next. And the concept was I emailed my list of readers. It takes me about five years to write a book. So five years ago asking what's the biggest challenge you face this year. I'm not the most technically savvy guy. I like triple clicked or something because the same people got the same message multiple times that day. But the fascinating thing was some people, the same people responded with different biggest needs for the year during that same day. In the morning was our company needs sales. By the afternoon, it was like, we need a better hiring practice. And by the evening, it was creating new products. They were all over the place. And that was when my realization came about that the biggest challenge entrepreneurs have is knowing what their biggest challenge is. So Ooh, that's I love story. that. Mm, yeah. So how do we narrow down out of all those beautiful challenges? And I'm sure your book takes us through that, but how do we narrow down to what the biggest single challenge is that if we were to move the needle on that, it would make a huge difference to our business? Well, I'm happy you asked because that's the essence <laughs> of the book. Right? So it's, it's, on the, it's funny, it's on the back. Instead of doing endorsements and stuff, I put in the back here oh. so anyone that can see the video, but if you can, I'll explain it. It's called the business hierarchy of needs. And what I did was I translated Maslow's hierarchy of needs with one great distinction. Maslow argued that you know, for all of humanity, we have physiological needs to breathe air, drink water. We have needs above that called safety and the highest level is self-actualization. And at any given time, if a base level needs not satisfied, we will biologically respond by addressing it. Like right now, if I drink some water and I start choking on it, I can't continue the conversation. I will try to get that water out of my windpipe. That's a biological response. Well, in the business hierarchy of needs, our business has five levels of needs to support its life, if you will. But the one key distinction is we are not biologically wired into our business. Therefore, we don't have an instinctual response to what our business needs, even though many of us say we do. We trust our gut. My instinct says I need to do this. It's actually empirical data we need to investigate. The five levels quickly in the business hierarchy of needs are as follows. Foundationally, every business needs sales. It's the creation of cash. It's oxygen for business, if you will. You don't have it, you're suffocating. Once we have a source of inbound cash, then retention of cash, which is profit, becomes the most next, most critical need. And what profit is, is creation of stability for an organization. In fact, as the COVID virus, when you know, the pandemic broke out, you saw what businesses had profit, which ones didn't. As the recession went out, so did those businesses that weren't profitable. So profit gives us runway, times to be thoughtful and considerate of our business needs, and time to take action to create those new sell-the-tell ideas. The next level above that is order. Order is the creation of efficiency throughout the organization. The level above that is impact, which is the creation of transformation. The highest level is called legacy, which is the creation of permanence. And how these levels work is at any given time, all the elements are playing out. Just like right now, as we're talking, you're still breathing, and so am I, because it's a biological, automatic process. But this hierarchy helps us identify where the next fix is needed. You always start at the foundation and say, do we have any sales or adequate sales? It's always any or adequate. Do we have any sales? If no, you've got a sales problem. If you have adequate sales, then the question is, is it adequate to support any profit. We look at the link between the two. Either we don't have enough sales to support profit or we do. If we do have enough sales to support profit, do we have any profit? And if not, we have a profit issue. We ask, do we have adequate profit to support order? Order is organizational efficiency. And you continue that any or adequate up the hierarchy. And the second you can't pass a test, that's the level you're at. You stop there, you fix that next, and then you repeat the process over again. Love it. Hence the name of the book. 
I really love that order is in there quite early on before impact and transformation, because I feel like you've got to get your ducks in a row and you've got to automate and systemize in order to be able to leverage and scale, right? We keep trying to go for here and we haven't got those ducks in a row. Yeah, you nailed it. And one of the biggest challenges too, but one of the biggest challenges I'm seeing in businesses is they skip to the impact level. They want to change the world. Mm -hmm. They want to be such a great service. Not for profits are known or notorious for this. They want to contribute. They want to heal a community, but they skip the foundational elements. They don't have sales or contributions. They don't have profit, retention of cash, stability. They definitely don't have efficiency. Mm-hmm. We need to get those elements in order to give at the higher levels. In fact, for the folks that can see this, I, I know most can't, but on the side of the hierarchy, it says get to give. You mm-hmm. must get these three foundational functions in place in order to be a contributor to our society, to your community. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I'm fascinated that you take five years to write a book, which is probably why your books are so amazing and have been bestsellers and sold, you know, millions of copies. Profit First is one of the ones that I used to listen to the audio book as I was going on these jogs and runs with the dogs. And then I realized, actually, I need to be inside writing notes for this and doing the work (laughs) and looking at the templates. But it was lovely running with you on those days. So five years, I guess, you know, how, just out of interest, how much does the information in this book that's going to help, you know, millions of entrepreneurs and micro businesses especially, still resonate and stay timeless. I imagine it does, but I'm just, are you ever curious about over those five years whether things will move at a speed of light or are these just the fundamentals? So at my writing studio, I have on the wall, it says, will this serve readers for the next 100 years? That's the timeless Mm. idea. So I can't go into pop culture or specific trends I need to go into timeless ideas. And to find a timeless idea, you look for a timeless challenge. Mm. And so if a challenge presents itself over time, that's a challenge I'll stick around. And the reason that it takes me five years, it's not that I write for five years specifically. I write, then I test it. The Mm. big thing is I'm also an entrepreneur, so I own three companies. And we have presence for each company, but we insert it in every single company. My own companies are guinea pigs for these things. Mm. So there's one challenge that I've noticed now has occurred for years, and it's how do I get employees to act like owners? It's a very common challenge and question I see come up. Well, I've been researching it now. That one, we're about four years of research in. Well, I take it back. About two years of research in and two years of, of hypothesis work prior to it. And now we're at the point we think we have the solution, but now I got to start spend time writing it. So that book probably won't happen for another two or three years, but that's the process I go through. It's pretty Jeez. extensive. But ultimately, we boil down to, you know, collectively here, a pretty simple solution that I think will last for a while. I love that. I love that you have a writing studio. I love that you want your books <laughs> to serve for 100 years or more because books have the ability to do that. And I really want to know some of the nuggets that are coming out of your research on that because that has been an absolute bugbear of mine as well. As, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're the f- most invested in your company. You want to see it succeed and nobody will ever love yeah, this. How do you make, you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll give you one insight real quick. Thank you. I'll give you two insights. One little strategy is I reveal, reveal, putting air quotes around it, I share, as probably a better choice, my research with my readers. So every so often, people that are on my list, I'll email out, usually at a peculiar time, two or three o'clock in the morning, I'll send out an email saying, first 50 people that are willing to fly out to my office, we have a training center upstairs. I'm just going to tell you what I've learned, and then your job is to try it out and give me feedback, maybe get included in the book. So that's one thing. But here's one of the insights that came out of this. I used to believe that the vision or the goals for the business was the most critical. I'd say, you know, we're going to achieve $10 million in revenue or whatever the arbitrary thing was. And 
that's the worst motivator for employees. And we can't unify, unify around that goal because that goal is solely to the business owner. Everyone has their individual goals. I call it intention alignment. And that's what we've been testing here is we know very specifically what everyone wants to achieve, not just like in their big picture of their life, but in the short term, we've been office of 12 people. We're tiny. Half the people here want to learn Spanish. I had no idea. We found it through interviews. One person was wanting to buy a house. She actually just got her house two weeks ago. Another person wants flexibility in her schedule because her husband travels so much. When he's home, she wants to be home. Well, we started learning this. And then what we did was intention alignment. In the path to the owner's goal, $10 million, whatever the thing is, how do we achieve everyone's goal on that pathway and make sure it's being satisfied? How do we ever elevate everyone's goal and walk this path together? Mm-hmm. So there's around this other wall here, you can't see it, but outside my office is a wall we're making has an arrow going up and it says our path at the bottom and at the top it says to our intentions. And we're aligning every employee's intentions to be satisfied in our journey together. Well, the motivation level is extremely high because we're focused on our own self-interest. So that's mm. one thing. Employees will take ownership over their own lives, just like we, the business owner, do. And the vehicle for us as the business owner over our own lives is the business's overarching goal, but that's ours. The ownership in their life is their individual goals. And so we have to align with that. I love that. Absolutely. You've got to make it resonate with them. And I love that everybody's lifting each other higher up, but obviously that takes work and something that we can do. Just before we finish up, I just want to understand a little bit more about if people are stuck at one of those levels, and I'm sure you talk about this in your book, what is the best way for them to get to the next one? So once they've asked those questions of themselves. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Once you know what to do, uh, the key, how you go about it. So in Fix This Next, I have a framework. It's called the OMEN method, and it's an acronym. It stands for measuring the outcomes and making sure they happen. So here's what the four elements. O stands for objective. Like, what's the objective? Maybe you're at the sales level, and we need more prospects. So the objective is more prospects. M is the measurements. Most businesses do these two elements. The measurements are, how do we know we're getting more prospects? A certain quantity per week, a certain dollar volume of transactions, something like that. But most businesses leave off there. Sadly, most small businesses that research just set arbitrary goals saying, you know what, we need more prospects. We'd like to get five more a week. Let's see how we're doing. And they don't check again for like another year. And they're like, ah, didn't do it. Well, the next element is E, stands for evaluation frequency. How often are we going to check in on our progress toward our goal? That's something we can set, you know, appropriate for the circumstance, weekly, monthly. You may not check every second. You know, checking prospects that be overwhelmed, but for some companies like Amazon, checking every second is necessary. So it depends on your circumstances. And then the last setting is nurture. Nurture is the permission and the the action of modifying our goals. Many businesses set goals based upon their awareness of that current search situation, but as time goes on, new data presents itself. It's unbelievable how many businesses are simply stoic and sticking with what they had from the beginning. And it wasn't necessary or appropriate. So how do you modify the objective, the measurements, even the frequency that we check in so that it better serves us with the more knowledge we have? One of the keys I found is frontline knows best. The people who are serving a problem are usually the best ones to fix the problem. So in small businesses, if you have an employee or two, and they're the ones facing the problems more frequently, definitely glean their knowledge and insights on how to resolve the problem. They'll know best. I love that. And one final question, because I look at my goals every single week and then month and quarterly, and it's the quarterly when I usually will adjust something if it's not feeling aligned or if I've already done something. So what have you seen in your research and data is 
in terms of a good frequency, I guess, for most small businesses, I know you can't blanket it, but is it every sort of three months that you can adjust? Yeah, goal, yeah, goal setting, and Omen's a little different in goal setting. So goal setting, I've actually found that 90-day increments are best. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be a reward mechanism. I wrote a book we talked about earlier, Profit First. Profit First is designed around the psychology of the 90-day increments. There's a magic that happens in 90 days. 90 days is far out enough that it doesn't feel like it's imminent and that we have time to prepare and plan, but it happens enough that there's a recurring frequency. So if we reward ourselves every 90 days, we don't become dependent on it. It's not predictable, but there's anticipation. So goal setting for 90 days is great. Omen is specific to fixing a specific problem. I got one challenge I need to fix and I need to move it from point A to point B. That happens, that frequency of checking in is a variable and it can be, like I said, hourly or daily or weekly, or it could be quarterly. But I would suggest when it comes to fixing specific problems, it's a condensed period in most cases that we're checking frequently and that it falls within a confine of a bigger goal for the quarterly. Perfect. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today. I know it's precious. I would love to know where people can find out more about you and specifically grab this book. I'll include it in the show notes too. Oh, thank you, Natalie. So the website's fixthisnext.com. And at that website, you can get all the details on the book and pick up a copy. But I think most interestingly, we have a free evaluation no downloads or any of that stuff. You go there and within about five minutes or less, it goes through 25 questions. You can pinpoint exactly, specifically what your business needs you to do for it right now. And that's at fixthisnext.com. Awesome. Ooh, I love that. That's like brilliant. Love it. Five minutes or less. Everybody has five minutes. Thank you so much. It's been brilliant to have you here and just so excited. I know this is an odd thing, but that you have a writing studio and that you have this also planned out. <laughs> well, you have to come by sometime. Next time you're out in New Jersey, yeah. I got to show you what's like. Yeah, Thank absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening into this episode. Mike doesn't do that many interviews. And when he does, he keeps them really short, hence why this was so packed. And I actually really appreciate that about him. Like he has boundaries, he knows what his time is worth, and he also knows how to deliver and pack a punch in a short amount of time. So please do go check out his book. He also has great free tools on his website, and I've linked to them in the show notes, which you can find across at nataliesisson.com forward slash podcast. This is episode 71, by the way, but if you just go to that link, you'll be able to find all my episodes. Also check out my recent one with Tash Corbin last week, which is fantastic about really nailing your niche and finding the profit in your business. And the one before that with Chris Spurvey, where we talked about not making sales icky, but instead making it part of your core identity in a way that totally feels natural to you. I've just been loving the guests we've been having on the show. I have been loving your feedback. I have been loving the reviews that have been coming through on iTunes. It makes a huge difference to me and it also makes a huge difference for people wanting to find the Untapped podcast on iTunes, Stitcher and all the good places. So if you have one minute today, head across to iTunes, search for Untapped and just click five stars and leave a little review for me. It would mean the world to me. If you're also wanting to continue to fix what's next in your business and continue to earn more income and be profitable, then you just need to check out my 10K Club designed for women entrepreneurs who know that they want to up-level, they want to earn 10K a month, and that they really want to get past those mindset blocks that have been keeping them small. I can't tell you how much I'm loving this club, this membership that I've built. It is probably the best thing I've ever designed in my life. And I love, love, love the ladies who are in it, the energy that they're putting out, the results that they're having, 66% of the women 
and our first month together smashed their revenue goal just by focusing on income tracking every day. And obviously my coaching and the accountability and the lessons that I'm putting out. So head to nataliesisson.com forward slash 10K. That's one zero in the letter K to find out more details about this club. Because if you sound like this is exactly what you need, then you're probably the perfect fit and you should come join.